This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. Do you have a jackhammer outside your room again today? No, no. That was possibly one of the most difficult episodes I've ever recorded. I've I've read some of the tweets and stuff. It seems like uh, Podcast Mike did an outstanding job and not many people could really hear the jackhammering outside. But uh, if you saw the photos I posted, it was, they literally, it wasn't just jackhammers. It was like bulldozer-sized trucks with jackhammers on the front of them, two of them smashing up around about literally 20 metres from where I was recording. Um, Look, I was aware that that was happening. They did send out notices saying, hey, we're going to be doing some road work that night. I just didn't know it was going to sound uh, like that. Um, It was a a pretty stressful evening. I just put the baby down. Jem had a shoot all week, early starts, so she was stressing out. I was doing the podcast. Um, After we recorded, I went and had a word... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as I am prone to do these days. But what you time, know what? What time would it have been when you went down to have a word to them? So what, we finished recording about 8 o'clock, right? Yeah. So it was 8 p.m. And uh, I was very... Because look, these guys had given notice. We were aware. And Gemma and I even last week had discussed maybe we should go stay in a hotel or something because you've got an early start. We've got the baby, blah, blah, blah. But we thought, you know what, there's been roadworks before, it can't be that bad, we'll, we'll sleep through it, we'll get earplugs or something. I mean, how loud could it be if they're going to do it or not? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, I went out and spoke to the guys and said, like, because it was, it was huge, I mean, they're breaking up, they're breaking up like chunks of concrete and asphalt with giant jackhammers, so it was that loud. And I went out and spoke to the guys and said, hey, like, um, I understand you guys are working till like 3 a.m., but how long is this part going to go for? And they were very apologetic and said, look, this is the loudest part. We've just got to smash up the road. Um, and once that's done, that'll be done by that 10 p.m. And then it should be quite, you know, reasonable amount of noise from then on, which turns out isn't true. <laughs> I mean, they did stop breaking up the road. But then they had to install like speed bumps and stuff. So you went from having that like thunderous sound of jackhammers to then just the high pitched squeal of concrete piercing drills as they attached rubber speed humps to the road. Um, but the worst part was not actually any of the machinery. It was their voices because they're talking to each other and they're filling in time. And, you know, road crews, not everyone's working. Some of them are just having smokers. Some of them just hanging out. You've got the people doing traffic control who don't really have that lot to do. So they're bored. So they just start talking to each other and yelling up and down the street. So that was a point at which 
Grumpy Charlie was like, oh, maybe I need to pull on my old my bloody moccasins and go down and have a word. <laughs> but I managed to tune it out and uh, we did get to sleep. It does sound a little, it sounds a little like you've gone to a heavy metal gig and they've started with their real heavy stuff and you're just hanging out for a ballad. Yeah. You've gone to see Extreme yeah. and you want to see them play more than words. <laughs> But like they just are playing all their thrash shit. You're like, when does it get to the ballads? Well, I went out the next day um, to see what they'd actually done. And for the life of me, look, if I was really going to take this to the next level, I, I, I think there has been some kind of misuse of council funds. I believe that obviously we're getting to the end of the financial year. Every department's got to top up their budget, so I'm assuming like whoever is in charge of uh, the roads in this area is like, shit, we haven't spent enough money. Let's because the roundabout will. Yeah. If we don't, if we, if we don't spend this money, we're not going to get this money again yeah. next year. So we've got to do something. We've got to do some late night road emergency road works. So what what did they do in their late night emergency road works? So they Charlie? completely. So there's a big concrete roundabout. They demolished that roundabout and then rebuilt the roundabout slightly smaller. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like they they reduced the <laughs> circumference of it by about not circumference. They, sorry, I don't know. Adam Spencer listens to this show. They, they reduced the diameter of it by about um, half a foot. Mm. So I believe right. what they've they got Pythagoras involved. <laughs> they they called Pythagoras. We've got, we've got some triangles. <laughs> like anyone got Pythagoras's number? <laughs> We've got to do some measuring here. We might need an expert. So they yeah they they just reduced the diameter by about half a foot I'd say mainly to allow because our hope was it's a very busy intersection down there it's very noisy I was hoping that they would when I heard they were putting in speed bumps I'm like great you know maybe they're going to put in speed bumps traffic lights it'll deter uh, traffic because I feel like people use the, this road because there's not many traffic lights as a sort of bypass to going on the major roads um, but what they've done is actually reduced the size of the roundabout so more traffic can move through at a faster pace <laughs> Yeah. Made it easier. Made it easier for those people to be cogging laps around your suburb. Oh, you think you think the noise of us constructing this is going to be the issue? Oh, no, sir. The noise of the traffic going past your window well, is going to be the issue. Part of me is hoping that it is an incremental uh, adjustment because the, the speed humps they put in, I don't know if what, it's... What, they're going to they're go slightly smaller every... No, 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 like every three months. I'm, I'm hoping what they've done, because they, they reduce... <laughs> We've just got to... We want to re, reduce this roundabout completely, but we want to do it in a way that people don't really notice. So we're just going to take off about 10 centimetres around the edge every three months. Not the roundabout, the actual intersection. I was thinking that maybe they were going to... Uh, so they put the speed bumps in on every corner of the intersection which by the way have speed humps changed like wh like wh what's going on have we started shaming humps because these ones are oh, like they're really reduced the kind of rubber speed humps that are they, they seem to fit mm. right between uh, the wheels of the car it's, i don't understand who they're slowing down because if you have a wide enough vehicle you can drive straight o over these things without that having any bumping at all. I know the ones that you mean. My car is not exactly wide enough because uh, there's a few of those around here that are, uh, I've had to drive over. And you try to do that aim where you're yeah. like, I can just aim yeah. through the middle. But you always get one, one wheel. You get one yeah, tire. Right. Like you can get one through and you get sort of one wheel on the rubber. So I suppose if you had a big enough car, because I've got like a mid-sized car, if you had a big enough car, you're absolutely right. You could just aim through the middle. But even that, 
Like the fact that you need to aim through the middle, I imagine, gets people to slow down. So they go, well, these these speed humps will be fine for the smaller cars. And then for the bigger cars, even the fact that they have to slow down to aim through the middle will be enough. Well, to the slow speed down. humps serve two purposes, Will. Is they're one, they are slowing traffic down, but they've also put up their their um, zebra crossing speed humps. So they've put up a crossing sign there as well because it, you are taking your life into your own hands yeah. when you try and cross at this intersection, especially during peak hour because people just fly through. It's every man for himself. I know the general rule, right, is that you observe your left and your right. If there's someone on your right, you give way. If on your left, fuck them. <laughs> That's not how it applies. <laughs> this roundabout is just fucking, if you reckon you can go for it, go for it. Accelerate as you get closer to the roundabout. And if you reckon, if you see a gap, just fucking go for it. It's every man for himself or woman. So, okay. So they've put in speed humps to slow them down. But what they've also done is they've not only put in speed humps that a big car can drive over if they aim properly, but they've reduced the size of the roundabout so that a big car can probably drive over that as well. Yeah. Is there anything in the middle of the roundabout that would stop a car from just driving directly over the no. roundabout? So what they've done is they've actually flattened the roundabout to make it easier because mm. I, the, the main reason I think this has all been done is because it's uh, there's multiple bus routes that use this intersection and the buses when they go around yes. can't quite work the angles and they often get like you can hear them scraping over the roundabout so it's just to enable the buses to sort of get through more easily but it also enables the yahoos will the yahoos and the the fanging it and the furious on the weekends to come zipping through last night <laughs> I gotta tell you I don't know what motorbike it was that was riding past, but it was it was ridiculous how loud this fucking thing was. I mean, is it the same thing, the small dick syndrome that you, you think about guys who have like big cars, those really loud motorbikes, like it's got to be a dick thing, right? I'm just thinking about it, just the physics of it, having it between your legs, that loud vibration, you feel compensated because you've got this powerful thing between your legs. This this giant throbbing like, you know, $20,000 vibrator yeah. that you just like carry around, like look at me, I'm robo dick. I've got a transformer penis and it's currently transformed into a Harley Davidson. Listen to my penis yell as I peel off down the street. Everyone look at my penis. I'm riding my penis at 100 kilometers an hour down the street. Look at it. Everyone look. My penis has a sidecar. Come on, jump on board. Um, uh, I also feel uh, that maybe I'm losing my mind a bit. Uh, I've done a lot of introspection in the last few weeks with this podcast. A lot of people have uh, mm. brought to light um, my obsession with my bins. And uh, I sort of had a moment, like a, not a come to Jesus kind of moment, but maybe like some kind of epiphany, epiphany yesterday. Because uh, our recycling collection was last week. And all uh, our side of the road put out our recycle bins. And someone did that sneaky maneuver where, so all the bins are lined up. And they snuck out with a bunch of moving boxes and jammed the cardboard between the recycle bins as if, okay, so when the garbage trucks come, they'll pick up and some kindly garbage man will get out of his truck and pick up this stack of boxes I've left on the, on, you know, jammed between the bins and throw that in as well. That has never worked. I don't, whoever's thinking that works, it doesn't. All right. If you can't fit it in the bin, it's not going in the truck. So of course, well, no, Charlie, surely you can just jam it in between two bins so yeah. they become one bin and therefore it is in the bin. It's just in an invisible bin jammed between two other bins. So after the collection, I look out the window and I see all the recycle bins have been empty and those moving boxes are just flat on the ground. Obviously, they haven't been collected because that's not how it fucking works. 
<laughs> so I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to go get my bin and get it back into the place because clearly the perpetrator of this crime yeah. is going to come out, see their cardboard hasn't been collected, but see a whole bunch of empty recycle bins and is probably going to go nuts and stuff. Uh -huh. So I was like, I'm not going to let that happen to my bin. So I grabbed my bin and wheel it back into place. And then... <laughs> I'm not going to let that happy happen to... You're gathering your children out of the playground. <laughs> You're like, not on my watch. <laughs> not without my bin. And so, sure enough, about an hour later, I look out and the perpetrator has taken not only their, their, their folded up cardboard and put it in one bin, they've spread it out amongst a few bins. They're thinking, well, I don't want to fill up one person's entire bin with my... So I'll do the right thing and spread it that'd, out over, that'd be over four bins. That'd be inconsiderate. <laughs> right? So that happens. And I'm like, well, how's this going to go? Down? I'm just glad that my bin's safe, that I've wheeled my bin out of the firing line. I love the idea. I love the idea that this person thinks that they are in somehow, instead of pissing off one person, pissing off four or five different people will go better for them than pissing off well, one. Well, it turns out I'm not the only person who feels protective over his bin because I come out the next day and the cardboard has been taken out of every other person's bin and just piled up on the corner, right? So I'm thinking, okay, well, if I was the person who, if I was the perpetrator, I would see this and... You know, in the uh, the dead of night, I would sneak out, shamefully gather up my cardboard, and take it back to my house and wait for the next opportunity. I can't, I can't believe what yeah. I've done. <laughs> my hubris has flown me too close to the sun. I thought I could get away with it. I thought I could flaunt the the bin rules, and now I am literally tearing apart my neighbourhood in a time of crisis when neighbourhoods <laughs> need to come together. I am the person responsible for tearing my neighbourhood apart. So. Uh, the bins sit out on the concrete for about two days. And then yesterday, um, mm -hmm. walking home, and I come up to my apartment building, and that person, I assume it's that person, has jammed all the flattened cardboard in between my bins. Uh, it didn't work the last time, buddy. It didn't work the <laughs> double I'm gonna down. double down. I'm going to see if these suckers will give... Okay, the Garbos weren't fooled by my cunning plan to jam the cardboard between the bins, but you know who will be? This fucking idiot across the road. He'll so, be fooled by it. And this is where I had my kind of epiphany, because, like, I was so angry. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, for fuck's sake, like, how, many, how much a clearer message do you need from the neighbourhood that you've got to take responsibility for your own cardboard? So I go up and then I'm like, I'm going to fucking put on Sheriff Sheriff Charlie's badge and I'm going to do some investigation. I'm going to work out where the fuck this has come from because they're moving boxes. So clearly someone has recently arrived in the area. Maybe, hopefully not in the, not in the last, uh, you know, six months, but maybe in the last few weeks. And I can sort of determine from, you know, uh, what I've noticed in my neighborhood, Mrs. Mangle style. <laughs> Who has moved in? Well, because this is this is also what you're talking about, right? They're moving boxes, so it's a big bold proclamation when you've just moved into an area to sort of kick off and start, you know, dissension in the area, right? This is the time when you're meant to be your best behaved, not your worst. Yeah, you're meant to be taking your neighbours like bottles of wine and chocolate and apologising for the inconvenience, blah 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 blah. You don't stuff you don't stuff cardboard in another man's bin, will? No. I mean, if that's what you're open with, what's going to happen in six months' time? You'll be shitting in your bin. <laughs> Which I'm okay with. I'm you're okay with if this. it's in you're a plastic doggy bag. That's fine. If it's on the street, it's fair game. <laughs> or any or any bin that's on the street. That's fine. <laughs> um, so then, like, I started... I, I was going through the cardboard, and 
there was an address written on it, but it was sort of torn off and I was doing the investigation and I was really getting into it. And then I just sort of stopped and was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why do I care? Like, there will be a garbage collection again, a recycling one. This can stay here until then mm-hmm. at, you know, 8 p.m. I'll make it my responsibility. I'll be the bigger man. You know, at 8 p.m., 9 p.m. at night, the night before rubbish collection, I'll go down and I will fold up this cardboard and I'll stick it in the bin as it should have been done in the first place. Like, that's the other thing too. If this person had folded up their cardboard and stuck it in my bin like the night before collection, it wouldn't have been an issue. But they jammed it in between the bins. They didn't even bother putting it in the bin as they should. Um, And then I thought again, I was like, but then again... Why should I need to do that? Why don't I just forget about it altogether? Why am I even worried about this? Like, it's not in my house. It's on the street outside my house. It's a place that I rent. I don't even own it. Why am I getting so upset about this? And then I started feeling foolish for the last two years that I've been railing against VIN politics. Because really, it's kind of, um, it's all ego. That's what it is. I really did some like you know analysis. Maybe I was sort of a bit of a an introspective state last night. I might have been had a couple of drinks. Will I might have been in a state where maybe you get a bit introspective? And I started thinking about this is all ego, Charlie, isn't it? You feel like you're being taken advantage of. You feel like someone is pulling a swift one on you, and it makes you angry. But really, is that person even? Are you even entering their calculations? No, they're just trying to get rid of some cardboard, and you're taking it personally. Yeah, or you could look at the flip side of that which is by giving into this person you've reinforced their bad behavior so this person is now for the rest of the time they're living in your neighborhood going to flaunt and take uh, reckless disregard with bin politics because early on you haven't taught them an important lesson about how the neighborhood works but why is it my responsibility to teach them manners like because you've clearly self-appointed yourself the neighborhood bin monitor (laughs) But my mum used to have a great approach to stuff. I didn't really realise it until she, after she'd passed away. But I used to get annoyed with mum that she was very non-confrontational, that she would not get upset over things that I would find to be an injustice, you know. Like, um, you know, there was an instance where uh, uh, we had a, we put a bunch of her items into to an auction house to sell and they were meant to give her a percentage of the of the money and they never did. They basically ripped her off and I got really angry and upset and wanted to sort of confront them and take legal action and mum was like ah oh, fuck you know like it was stuff I wanted to get rid of anyway you know what are we getting upset about a little bit of money I, I really don't mind and I couldn't I couldn't understand why it didn't anger her and then you know as she was sort of getting closer to death and we sort of talked about life more and everything that she'd been through I'd been through <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> I'd come to realize that the life she'd had and, you know, the ups and downs that she'd had, you know, and there was plenty in, in, in our family that she had just learnt, you know, when, uh, when, when to keep her powder dry. There was events in which she would invest heavily, but she couldn't invest heavily in everything because it was too emotionally draining. And, you know, she was an old lady by that stage and she just wanted to enjoy more of her life than she'd get anxious about her life. She just would pick her battles. And, to be honest, towards the end, there were very few battles. <laughs> Most stuff was just like, fuck it. Like, what am I going to do about it? It doesn't affect me personally. It doesn't actually upset me that much. And so it's always a great lesson to me because I often wonder, I mean, I do, I, I don't wonder, I know this about myself, is I dramatize situations or I inject myself directly into a situation or envision some personal attack on me that probably doesn't exist, 
that you know probably there's a million things going on for this person they've just moved into their house they're thinking about like you know geez we've got to get a kid signed up for a school blah 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 they're not really thinking about how can i pull a swifty they're just like i need to get rid of these boxes so i can then think about the next thing what if they're a super fan of the show <laughs> What if it turns out this person is such a fan of the show, you've given enough details about where you live in Sydney, they know at least the general neighbourhood in which you live, they've been sitting with the rentals, they've, like, they've used the coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to find themselves some cheap rental in your uh, local area and they just want to get on the podcast. They've intentionally, provocatively left this garbage out on the street. You've ignored it the first time, haven't spoken about it. So they've jammed it in between your bins just so they can get on Australia's number one bin watch podcast. I mean, that would be, it'd be unreasonably cruel. I mean, it would actually fulfill every, every, every one of my worst fears that I am being specifically targeted. Uh, and they're taking advantage of my better nature. Now, look, I don't know if this was a passive aggressive move, but this is kind of what I've done in the past when there has been uh, okay, unsanctioned good. running. Tell me. I took the cardboard out from between the bins and I placed it in a neutral position, not really outside our building, not really outside anyone else's building, but in a neutral <laughs> visible position so that anyone who's walking mm. past... It's a real... It's a real centrist yeah. <laughs> approach to solving this problem, isn't it? <laughs> we're going to find some common ground. Well, my ground. options were to either go into full detective mode and be a fucking psychopath and, you uh, know, sort of uh, survey the area for recent arrivals and harass and target and profile people, you know, because it would. It starts making you paranoid. It's like that person looks like a real bloody rubbish dumper. You're a rubbish dumper. I don't want to do that. So what I thought I would do is... What if you found like an old police uniform, you go to like a, a, a hire shop, you get yourself a police uniform and you re-become your character well, from now, Blue Healers and you start to patrol the neighbourhood the time. in a sort of, in a police uniform. That as was a not the cop. time, I think, to drag out a police uniform. I don't know if you've been reading the news, Will. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, actually. That's BLM, being <laughs> yeah, public, public sentiment is not in favour of police at the moment. No, I think, I think... No, it's a good point. You could probably get one cheap <laughs> is what I'm saying. Somebody is probably off trying. To, someone's probably trying to offload a police uniform right now. I, I think guess. what I w I'm hoping is that I'm trying to put myself. If I was the dumper, I think what I would want. It's like, okay, well, when I was 13 or 14, I was really into shoplifting, and there was one milk bar in particular that I would that I would target, and I had a little routine that I'd go into where this was back in the days of mixed lollies. Do you remember when mixed lollies used to be behind the counter? You would sort of go up and you'd say, "I'll have you know." Two yeah. cents of that. Free... Yeah, exactly. Two mates. Yeah, a, a pineapple, a, yeah. three milk bottles, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so what I would Two do is uh, go to this milk bar and I would send them on a very complex errand searching through the, the lollies to fill my bags. So mm. I'd, you know, a couple of bullets up down there and some milk bottles. And while they were confused with my order and preoccupied, I would slip my hands down to the chocolate bars, which are at the front of the counter, out of view and slip them into the mm. sleeve of my jacket. And so I was very good at shoplifting Jesus. chocolate bars for quite some time. But then uh, one day... The lady who ran the store had obviously twigged, probably because I would walk in in my school uniform, but with a giant puffy jacket. I had this big sweat hog uh, letterman jacket that I, that I would wear, completely incongruous. 
You were wearing the puffy shirt from Seinfeld, <laughs> just with big slats and just jamming Snickers down there. And so I, I went in to you know to pull my heist off, and uh, when I went to give my order, she said, "Actually, before we you know get to the order, why don't we have a chocolate bar?" And I was like, "Huh?" And so she pulled out a chocolate bar and she unwrapped it and you know broke into two halves and gave me a half. And so we sat there eating the chocolate bar. And I remember as a kid being like, what the fuck is going on? And she was like, mm. it's nice, isn't it, to eat a chocolate bar? And I was like, yes. And she's like, it's nice when that chocolate bar is given to you, when that chocolate bar isn't just taken, isn't it? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like she's fucking Hannibal lecturing me. She knows, she knows. And so... It was a very gentle way for her to say, look, I know what's going on. I'm giving you, I'm giving the opportunity to do the right thing here. I'm not going to. Yeah, this is, this is a warning. This is like a really lovely warning delivered over yeah, half exactly. a chocolate bar. Like I've given you a gift, but it also comes yeah. with a threat. Do you I think that's the way? I mean, fuck, maybe that would solve a lot of the issues we're having right now with policing. If it was all solved with chocolate bars, if you were sort of pulled up, pulled over, right? You know, maybe you didn't weren't aware you'd been speeding or you'd run a red light or whatever. And the cop, rather than asking for your license and registration, hands you half a chocolate bar. Yeah, yeah. you were going a bit fast. You look a little angry. What you need <laughs> is half a Snickers. Let's enjoy half a Snickers with each other. Um, but I think that approach is what I'm... Um, that's my half... My, me putting the, the, the cardboard out in the street is my half a chocolate bar approach, which is like, look, we all know what's going on. And I'm just making, I'm not trying to publicly humiliate you. I'm just putting this out here so you can observe it when you're walking past or from your home or whatever. In the dead of the night, you can sneak up and you can take your cardboard back. That's, that's what I'm saying. And in the past, when people have done illegal dumping on that corner, that seems to work. Because often, as we've talked about many times in this show, people will chuck their rubbish next to my bins because they assume it's a dumping area. And all I need to do is move that rubbish about six feet away from my bins into a public spot and more often than not it's collected again the very next day people understand oh okay i thought there was a dumping area it's clearly not a dumping area (laughs) (laughs) um uh, we referenced in a comedic way but it's probably worth referencing in a non-comedic way um you know the black life matters uh protests that are happening now um, you know, not only in America, but also here in Australia and have happened this weekend here in Australia, which, you know, has been incredible images of people out on the streets protesting against, you know, police brutality, both in America and in Australia. And I wanted to mention it partly because we started to talk about the problem in Australia last week and then the jackhammering started in the episode and then we had a 20 minute break and then we came back and in our usual style we'd forgotten what we were talking about uh but of course when the podcast was edited together it felt like we'd just gone from that conversation you'd been interrupted by a jackhammer and then we decided that's enough about black lives and how they matter we've got to move on and i did get some feedback about that and i was like well here's what really happened uh yeah we had a massive break and forgot what it was we were talking about because charlie was trying to (laughs) shout over the top of a jackhammer and uh uh, what, there was a thunderstorm happening at my end, I believe, was what was happening at the time. But um, have, were you... Mm. I mean, obviously, you have a child. No. I imagine you didn't go out to the protest yourself. <laughs> but did you? were you affected by the protest? Did you see the protest? Did you, what was your uh, sense of what was going on? I was a little worried um, when the New South Wales police 
tried to get that injunction to get the made the process made illegal, I was worried because mm. I just felt like at this moment in time, you just yeah. got to read the room a bit and pick up, pick up on public sentiment, and it just felt like a very short sighted move and and especially using sort of the covid thing as an excuse which is a completely legitimate excuse but from everything i'd read from organizers online you know there was they were making every effort for people to social distance bring masks bring sanitizer all that kind of stuff i felt like it just was an opportunity especially considering what has been happening overseas and all the images we've been seeing this is a great opportunity for australian police to say we're not going to go down that path we're going to listen to you yes yeah, we're not like that. There may be there may be parts of our organisations that are like that, or there might be institutional bias that genuinely needs to be looked at. But in these moments on the street, um, and they look, I mean, they did a pretty good job until the end of the day when clearly there was trouble mm. between protesters and the police in you know in a much more sort of nasty way, and it felt like the police you know, literally had, you know, protesters cornered in a place they shouldn't have been cornered in and spraying them in a way they shouldn't have been spraying. It was it was nasty images to see out of Australia. But in a general sense, it did feel like the policing approach was um, not as no, adversarial like, as the images From what I saw in Queensland and Melbourne, that seemed to go really well. Like all the friends that I've sort of spoken to or have seen tweets and, and whatever uh, from Melbourne seemed to be a really great positive uh, protest. Uh, Sydney one, yeah, like you said, it was just at just at the end. But I also sort of, sort of felt like it was coming. I mean, something. I was really, I was really nervous this week. Uh, we sort of spoke about it mm. on the last episode, but this week I had Iona all week because Jen was shooting, so it was such a stressful. And she was shooting week. police, which was the worst yeah. thing. <laughs> it's like pretty radical. She was real mad about recycling. She hasn't had a lot yeah. of sleep. Yeah, shooting like uh, rangers, council police. Yeah. Uh, no, I um, I had Iona and she she was unwell this week, so it was very very stressful to just be uh, at home alone with a sick baby, and so it was not helping. You know, you go to social media for a bit of distraction when she's asleep or or having a nap or something like that, and then I would just get even more anxious. And so, leading up to this weekend, I was like, "Fuck it." The last thing I think I you know I, I want to be engaged in mentally is um more conflict closer to home you know but i, I to be honest i everything that i read you know gave me great hope i think reese muldoon um he did a really good sort of thread about what the melbourne protest was like that filled me with a lot of positivity and you know i just sort of feel like there is a there is a disconnect i mean we all live in bubbles i'm acknowledging that but i do feel like there is a disconnect with what i most people I speak to, what I read online, and then what you see coming out of the mainstream press and politicians, like there is this conservatism to Australian politicians and Australian mainstream press that feels very outdated. And I just yeah. don't know that it is an accurate reflection of what the public sentiment is. And I'm talking, you know, obviously I live in my fucking lefty, uh, you know, lefty bubble or whatever. But, you know, in our industry, you work with people from all different works like it's not just all actors you know you work with crew and production staff and you know people from all different backgrounds and i feel like all that sentiment is with um you know the idea of coming together in some kind of reconciliation uh but you don't see that i mean even fucking fairfax which used to be you know your escape from the murdoch press 
that fucking terrible, terrible headline about threats of spitting from an unnamed source. It's like, how is that any better than the Daily Mail or New Idea? It's just like, it was such a, a inflammatory, irresponsible bit of journalism. What do we what do we do? And I don't expect you to have the answer because like I fucking studied journalism and worked as a journalist and think about the media all the time and I don't have the answers, but I I I often wonder when I read the press because when I was at university there was this sort of sense of you know and this will play into the Murdoch narrative around you know universities teaching left-wing politics, but in our journalism course there was a real idea that, you know, in a prestige sense, we were training you to go and work at Fairfax or the ABC or one of these prestigious, you know, shows. That's the idea. You're in a journalism course. Nobody's there saying, you know, here's your course, so how are you going to get to write for the Daily Mail? In fact, I imagine having a journalism dis- degree would disqualify you from being able to write for the Daily Mail. Yeah, but, is it, is it, so um, it's, a, it's a two-day course. Day one is cut and day two is paste. <laughs> That's your uh, yeah. Daily Mail journalism degree. <laughs> How to look at somebody's Instagram feed and then construct a completely incorrect article out of it. But I looked at the statistics this week and, you know, the the Daily Mail news downloads in Australia are absolutely through the roof. Like there are more people getting their news now from the Daily Mail than almost anything in Australia. So what do we do about that? Because when the Daily Mail exists in a world where facts don't need to matter and it's all about, you know, grinding personal agendas and, you know, inflammatory reporting around pretty much everything, um, but people are reading it, they're consuming it, how, how do we fix that as an issue? But how does that... So if how do those numbers stack up against social media? Like, I mean, I, I imagine... Because I've been thinking a lot about the news lately and um i find i'm sort of drawn more and more to independent journalism both here and overseas just because you sort of feel like you you you, you get away from that um dog whistling and and the sensationalism and i'm more inclined it's funny like i'm more inclined to listen to someone who has completely different beliefs from me from independent media sources than i am when it comes to the mainstream like people who i completely disagree with i'm always like well that's a reasonable point of view because you can trust where it's coming from you don't you don't get this sense of an agenda. So I'd, I'd be interested to know, like, if, you, if you're comparing it to sort of new media that people are accessing through, you know, subscription or YouTube channels or podcasts or whatever, if Daily Mail would still stack up as high. I mean, that's a very good point. And those statistics were mostly put out by the Daily Mail. So <laughs> With a photo of someone, some celebrity in a bikini as well. <laughs> Oh, man. But that's what the mainstream news sites have become as well because then they try to compete with that Daily Mail thing and then suddenly you go to what is meant to be at least a you know vaguely legitimate news source and there's still, you know, provocative, you know, some Instagrammer who's doing porn now or something is like written up as an article because they know they can put a couple of pictures of somebody in a bikini and if they have the porn headline, everybody's going to click on that. So how much responsibility do the people who are making the media have versus how much responsibility do we have as the people who are consuming the media and clicking on those links because they wouldn't be writing those stories if like hundreds and thousands of people weren't then clicking on those stories well yeah i don't know i mean everyone consumes i think an equal balance of trash and informative media you know like it's like you have your guilty pleasures you'll watch the latest hbo series but then you'll also watch a reality tv thing so the idea that 
one will overcome the other. I'm not sure that that is necessarily the case. Like I was listening to a, do you watch, have you, uh, you know what The Hill is? It's that, um, it's like an independent media network that started on YouTube. It's starting to get very popular. And one was an NBC reporter and one was a Fox reporter who felt that they were not gelling with those big corporate sides of the media. And so they're, they're doing that thing of, hey, here's a liberal and here's a conservative, but through an independent media company. And it was really interesting. I saw an interview with them and they were talking about the fact that they are often told when they were at Fox or NB, and, and, MN, what is it, MSNBC that um, you, know, you can't talk for longer than three minutes on a particular topic because people, they get bored, they, you've got to keep it snappy and it's got to be inflammatory and stuff. And they felt that that wasn't the case. Well, I hope, I hope everybody enjoyed that 30-minute conversation we had at the top of our <laughs> yet again. <laughs> but they were sort of discussing about the idea of people in their you know their their company is growing and they're finding there is an appetite for more in-depth more nuanced discussion around these things so i'm I, i'm hopeful that maybe there is appetite for discussion <laughs> take another 14 years to come out I, I just feel hopeful that there is look there's always going to be people who have cognitive bias who just want to hit on links that sort of reaffirm their their worldview but i think that there is movement towards alternative media and um, more balanced, nuanced discussions around things. I just think it's like any media industry, entertainment, whatever, it's so flooded now. And the, it's, uh, the big media companies will always have the loudest voices because they've got the deepest pockets. But it's not to say that you cannot find um, real information out there. I guess the question is, can you rely on the general public or most people to be inquisitive enough to want to know the truth. And I don't know. I think the the, the, the response people have at the moment is like, people are idiots, they all just... I don't know about that. I think, I think sometimes that we get told people are idiots, but then like, you know, with the Black Lives Matters thing, you know, everything that I see online or discuss with people seems to tell me there's, there is more nuanced takes out there. People are trying to understand the issues. You know, you can't read the comments section of a Herald Sun article to get an accurate, accurate view of what the general public is. That is not everyone. But yeah. Did it ever occur to you that you could take those pieces of cardboard that were left by the neighbour from the movie and turn them into a protest sign? That could be your contribution to the protests. You could like make at home, you know, just like handicraft and then leave them out on the street, blank protest signs that people could pick up on the way to their protest and then just maybe have a, like a texter on a, uh, you know, piece of string like they might have at the bank. And so you've got a Sharpie there and you've got like a whole bunch of protest signs that are just blank and people can fill in as they go. I'd be interested to know actually in this neighbourhood which is very white and, you know, very upper middle class, if I did put up some protest signs, what their reaction would be. Because I think that, uh, you know, everyone in this part of uh, Sydney is in that kind of behind the quinoa curtain. They do support kind of generally progressive ideals because those generally progressive ideals don't impact on their day-to-day life at all. (laughs) But I wonder, because you saw that horrible footage of that guy uh, on the bike who chased down those kids and ripped up their signs and shit. Like, I mean, what possesses a grown man? Like, it's not even like the kids were taunting him or harassing him. They were putting up signs like kids in neighborhoods. But I, the amount of fucking fairy gardens I walked past, you know, where some kids like put up a sign. Like, 
don't feel a need to tear it down. It's like, oh, it's a kid expressing themselves. It's weird, isn't it? That that a grown man would be so in... You, you, you don't yet, but when those kids are 17 or 18 and they're doing oh, TikToks yeah. on the small roundabout outside your window, then you're going to come for them. I don't know. I, I don't know that I was angry at those. I was more fascinated by those kids and a little intimidated, if I'm honest with you, especially teenage girls. I find... I'm infinitely more intimidated by groups of teenage girls than groups of teenage boys. Like groups of teenage boys are loud and obnoxious, but they're kind of dumb and you don't feel physically threatened or whatever. But you're like, I understand you. I was like you too, loud and dumb. But you're really just covering up for your insecurities and the fact that you don't feel like you fit in. You don't really know who you are yet and you... Your hormones are really confusing it as well. I get you. I feel sorry for you, loud young boy. Teenage girls confuse me as much as they did back then. <laughs> yeah. And also just terrifyingly, um, their their attacks are so psychological. You know, like they, they, they will speak the truth. They will identify your greatest weakness in a minimum amount of time and vocalize it and completely take your legs from underneath you. It's terrifying. I think that I have, there's a part of my brain that works like a teenage girl's brain in regard to that. It's why I try in a general sense, like not to be mean to people because whatever it is, I also have that capacity of just being able to like, it's like a reverse John Edward. I can read a cold room and just go from person to person and have immediate instinct for what I could say that would hurt them the most. <laughs> yeah, there was a quite a period of time when we first started hanging out where was it my hat was it either my hat or my haircut? Whenever we caught up, the first thing I would hear from you would be some joke about something I was wearing or my haircut. I can't remember what it was. I was negging I was negging you into a friendship. I was like, I don't know about this is a healthy healthy basis for a friendship. I had to neg your friend into a podcast. A long-term plan by Will Anderson. <laughs> Firstly, a few Fred, Fred Durst comparisons early on. <laughs> it was. You completely negged me into like a... Into a, a fo- no, I, don't, I can't remember... Did I, I didn't neg you back, did I? I can't, I can't even remember. I just remember thinking, this is a weird approach to a friendship. <laughs> It's hard to make friends in your thirties. You never, you never know. What was it? Thirties, late twenties, I suppose. Late, anyway. Whatever age it was. Um, uh, did you see Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin has been uh, shouting down racists online? So no. Stone Cold's no. been, you know, there were some people, you know, getting uppity about the Confederate flag and a few of those other things, and Stone Cold has just come right. out. Like, you know, I don't represent you, and this is why this is bullshit, and like. I have seen a few memes fly around the internet today, but I would like to claim ownership of this idea because I remember being in, I think, Denver or somewhere like that and I was doing breakfast radio and I'd gone to a local sports station to talk and we just ended up talking about wrestling and I proposed the idea that the ideal political ticket to run America was the Rock as president and Stone Cold Steve Austin as vice president because that's the way that, you know, you get... It's across enough demographics that is an unbeatable ticket. And I've mm. got to say, it's just strengthening the momentum. There's still time. We could get yeah. The Rock and Stone Cold up for November. Did you see The Rock's eight-minute um, speech? I didn't. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, it's on his Instagram uh, and his Instagram TV. It's, uh, it's. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like... Well, at least the uh, the leader of the US has uh, finally made a statement. <laughs> it's, it's look, it is well intentioned. It's not his most articulate 
um, one, but you can see he's genuinely emotional. But it's um, the the rocks. I don't. I'm not sure how many of the, his IGTV videos you've watched, but they're incredibly earnest, and he has this kind of. I don't know if the lack of self awareness, but he has no problem sort of referring to himself as an enormous star and being super famous and all this kind of stuff. Like he doesn't. He's humble, but at the same time is honest and realistic about you know his standing in the world and his status and how he's perceived there is some sort of humility in that i think because those people who deny the positions of power that they do have or the positions of privilege that they do have in a like self-effacing way or in a way that minimizes you know the opportunity that they have it's often disingenuous like it's actually better to someone to go look let's just get the facts on the table i'm the biggest star in the world all right that's that other way we all know that i also know that <laughs> yeah he sort of he starts off with um it's a rhetorical question like oh. where is our leader and you're like ooh, provocative statement by the rock the answer will is that we are all leaders that's what he's getting to it takes him eight minutes to get to that point is that we're all leaders but you know he talks about and he you know he very he stakes specifically that black lives matter he then qualifies by saying of course all lives matter but that's not what we're talking about right now and then he talks about we need a leader with compassion we need a leader he uh, this is my, me quite I'm trying to remember what he says america's on its who isn't a jabroni yeah. who can do a people's yeah. elbow do you smell <laughs> what racial equality is cooking uh but he talks about America being on its knees and a leader who needs to reach out and lift them up and say, I got you. And you're watching it and you're like, Jesus Christ, like America's celebrity worship and the way that Donald Trump has weaponized celebrity is now irreversible. Like, it's crazy when you think, like, I don't know if you follow Jesse Ventura uh, online, but he's been saying some really great things as well. Arnie's been saying some great things. And like half the cast of Predator are making more sense than the president of the United States. And it would not surprise me if the way you defeat a reality show president is to get a bigger star, a movie star president. I mean, the charisma and the way that he was cutting through and the message was a bit muddled and it wasn't entirely thought out. He was speaking from the heart, The Rock. It was clearly there was, he wasn't scripted. He was just trying, thinking on his feet. And he sort of would get confused and he would sort of, you know, contradict himself a little bit. But the intention was like, we need to come together. And that means everyone takes personal responsibility and everyone just take a deep breath and back off and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, if he did announce, you know, his candidacy in this moment, A, it wouldn't surprise me. And B, I think he would win in a landslide, especially if his running mate was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, this is the thing, right? You run The Rock and, and like people have pointed out before, we may have even mentioned it before, The Rock's a Republican. Um, so that to me Better. is even a more powerful idea because he runs as an independent Republican, like, you know, as a third party Republican, not a third party that would take votes away from the left. So if Biden still wins, if people want to go, no, 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 we want to reject all this and we want to go to, you know, the other person yeah. who is running, he's not really, but it has the capacity to win because I think it would take votes from yeah. both sides. I mean, what about if Joe, because... Uh, Amy Klobuchar was, uh, you know, is groomed as being the VP. But after, I mean, how, what are the odds that the cop who killed George Floyd was let off by Amy Klobuchar? Like literally less than a week after she was announced. I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> look at that, like fucking the greatest of all fuck ups. But if Joe Biden was then to say, you know what, I'm picking a new VP, it's The Rock. 
do you think that brings people together? And Stone Cold Steve Austin is Secretary of State. <laughs> I mean, because oh, everyone, the it. concern about Joe Biden is that you. he's not going to make it. That he's so it. old and frail. Like you're voting for his cabinet right. essentially. So if he installs The Rock as VP, to many people that's like, well, The Rock is the president in waiting, and Stone Cold is Secretary of State. The ultimate tag team championship. Like Biden's doing some of the sort of the meetings and the thinking and the official stuff, but The Rock is the the, the ultimate American president. You know, the guy who looks like if there was a Harrison Ford hijacking style, of Air Force you know, One, they're trying to kill the president situation. A, a guy <laughs> could, who could actually take down the terrorists single handedly. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I um was watching last night. <clears throat> oh, hang on. It just says the connections mm-hmm. dropped out for a sec. We just had a break, Charlie, because my internet completely dropped out. Uh, just went away for five minutes. That Will was about to tell us about something he'd watched uh, before we got disconnected. Last night, I watched The Running Man. Oh, yes. Now, I I have not watched The Running Man in 20 years, probably, I imagine. and yeah. But I thought... It came up on the TV and we'd been talking about it recently. And obviously, like you said, Arnold and Jesse Ventura have both been uh, pretty good when it comes to public pronouncements. Again, the world that we fucking live in. Where, it's so insane. Know, like, it's like, you know who's been good on this? The Rock, Jesse Ventura, Arnold Schwarzenegger and that guy from my favourite rap group, Killer Mike. They're, they're the big four we can listen to. Not the guy who used to host The Fucking Apprentice who actually runs the country. What a world we are fucking living in. So I thought in light of that world, it felt like The Running Man was the perfect movie to watch. And it's probably why it's coming up on the, you know, the suggestions, because I imagine a few other people have had that thought. So I wanted to see, because it's set in 2019 or 2017, 2019. Oh, right. I think it's, right. So their idea of what this would be like is actually not that far off. <laughs> I mean, look, it's been a while since I've I've seen it, but just refresh my memory. But basically, there is huge civil unrest. Uh, police are used basically like private security. They in the in the interest of corporations and the government, and they go out and uh, they quell riots with uh, uh, with um, um, fatal intent. Is that correct? Yeah, and uh, basically everything is um, you know controlled by the media these days. And you know the biggest show on TV is this show. The Running Man that works in conjunction with the government, and it's like you know, it's to eliminate people who are dissidents against the government and criminals, and it's prime time entertainment. And when you're arrested, you're appointed a celebrity, like a, a court appointed agent. Like their satire of why it would be the media that controlled the narrative around this rise of fascism was really fucking spot on. And then the fact that the guy who hosts this game is the most famous guy, you know, in the country. He's kind of a Simon Cowell meets Donald <laughs> Trump, you know. Stuff character like so much of it is entirely fucking spot on and yes the police being used against the citizenry who are trying to rise up in some sort of yeah revolution is just so fucking timely so basically the idea is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character he's like the good cop he's a police you know he's a cop but at the moment you know that idea of you know ACAC or ACAB you know he's the good cop working in the corrupt police force and he's there's a crowd of civilians and there's 1500 civilians i think and they're unarmed 
and uh, so he says they're unarmed and he's he's told you have to fire on them you have to kill them and he's like nah I'm not going to kill unarmed so, so he's the good, mm. good cop amongst the corrupt yep. system right now look you'd probably pick that apart and go this isn't your first day as a cop mate you're flying the <laughs> fucking helicopter do you know what I mean like you know you're the hero of this I'm guessing these cops have been up to some bad shit before today that you've turned a blind eye to but let's let's just say it starts here and this is what happens and so he has a fight with all the other cops you know that's your sort of opening set piece him fighting in a helicopter with all the other cops and then of course he's arrested and then they frame him so they take bits of that and they put it together as if he fired on would the would you say will it's a deep fake it's the original deep fake it's a deep fake it literally is a Fox News style edited deep fake where they have basically taken bits of real footage and they put them together in a way that it tells a completely misleading and different story. So the idea that technology would be at the point where you could manipulate people by the images and editing and those sort of things, they absolutely nailed as well. Now, the computers they thought we'd be doing that on, <laughs> uh, their imagination was a little limited in that sphere. But it is amazing. Like, so 1987, I think it came out, 1987, 1988. Yeah, I remember when it did come out, like it was one of those, because it was rated R and I remember I had to get my older brother to rent it so I could watch it because all the violence and stuff. And I remember watching it thinking, what a garish, over the top, uh, a vision of the future. <laughs> like this seems ridiculous, but really not that ridiculous. The funny thing is you could imagine us having a running man by the end of 2020. <laughs> Like, on the trajectory of this film, you can imagine Running Man being a thing by the end of 2020. And the the idea about how it would be this sort of underground revolutionary and the ruling class would be, you know, distracted by entertainment and they would be caught up in the, you know, the vibe of this game and the Running Man and getting to see justice be done on television and that idea of loving authority versus you know the revolutionary uprising and the police being in the power position wielded against the you know the people and the uprising as well it's like genuinely spot on for our times now there is this great thing that you will love two bits of technology that they just really didn't quite get right they got the idea that we'd all be speaking on something that wasn't a phone or like you know a microphone but they've all got those madonna um mcdonald's drive-through style headphones on so speaking sets so they were like never imagined that we'd be able to get (laughs) rid of the bit between the ear and the mouth that wasn't and the other one is the big twist in the i mean the big plot point so basically what happens is Arnie tries to escape, tries to get to Hawaii with this uh, you know woman who lives in the apartment who used to live in. And um, she dobs him in basically at the airport and he gets busted yeah. in his Hawaiian shirt. Um, and so he gets busted and he has to become uh, the running man. Now the ratings are going down for the running man or they're, just, they're plateaued. They haven't gone down, but they're plateaued. So they need a new thing to throw in. They need to heighten... Um, the feel of this, you know, like in the same way as they started yeah. letting people fuck on The Bachelor. They were like, we don't care. We want we yeah. want to have a room where they have to fuck. On the American one, they fuck. Like on the Australian one, they still, if they do have sex, they kind of keep it to themselves because we're a little bit more prudish. But in the American one, they're like, yeah, on this season of The Bachelor, you're going to get to see The Bachelor <laughs> or The Bachelorette fuck lots of different people. It's part of the game. And so it's got a bit of an element of that about it. And so they have to heighten the stakes. And they see him running away from this prison escape that he was in and they see his form and they're just like, this is a great story. We can, He can be the sort of, you know, the, the heel when it comes to, you know, the running man. And so they put him in this competition. They put him in this 
So this is one of the other bits that are just so ridiculous. The opening of this. So it's like a game show opening. Yeah, you know, they introduce them to the crowd. Everyone's there in the game show. And then they put mm. them in this suit, like a bobsled suit, basically. Like a Kathy Freeman-style Olympic suit. And then they shoot them down. Toboggan. It's a toboggan. This, like, yeah. like a water slide. Like a toboggan slide. So, which is, make, makes no sense at all, right? Because you can't have cameras in there. You can't film it. It takes forever. They get up so much speed. That's a big vital part of this movie is like how much speed they get up. And then when they get down to the bottom, the only thing that's <laughs> stopping them is this like net. They've just got like a like a net down the bottom. And I'm just like, this has been... You would lose 90% of your running men on the poorly designed <laughs> construction of you shooting them into the running man arena, right? But it's him and two of yeah. his mates, two of the guys he escaped prison from. So that's your sort of stakes. And they're trying to get this code so that they can hack the satellites and they can sort of broadcast to everybody what's really going on. And mm -hmm. the code is just a series of numbers and letters. It is like, this was the bit also, like this, the idea that this secret code would only be like <laughs> eight, eight, eight letters and numbers that you could just easily remember and you'd be able to hijack a satellite and take it I, over and broadcast well, now, everywhere. there's... Three or four stalkers, right? So there's uh, there's Dynamo, the electricity guy. First stalker is the samurai guy, the samurai guy. Yeah, ice hockey samurai guy, right? And then the second is a team of stalkers, which is the electric, the 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 Dynamo. Is that Dynamo? Yeah, it's Dynamo. And the other yeah. one is like buzzsaw, cannonball, or thunderball, oh. or buzzsaw. Yeah, buzzsaw. Yeah, buzzsaw is <laughs> the guy with the chainsaw, right? right? Yeah, so Buzzsaw, uh, they're the team that go out second. Uh, then you have... What's his uh, powers? The black dude with the silver stripes in his hair. He's a flamethrower guy. Ah, so he'd be Fireball or something would be his yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Jesse Ventura's yeah. character, who's become the but commentator. He's, but he's like Captain USA or something. Isn't his whole deal, is it, he's like a patriot? He's kind of, he's painted as being like the ultimate sort of patriot. I mean, ironic, right? Jesse Ventura, who's now so far on the left, who's, I think he's, he's not the head of the Green Party, but he's involved with the Greens and calling for the dismantling, you know, defund the police and dismantling of the government, like a complete radical. Yet... 30 years ago, he was being held up as this beacon of American patriotism. And of course, you speak about deep fakes. This is the bit that I've forgotten. Jesse, of course, uh, doesn't go in and actually fight Arnold Schwarzenegger. He fights a deep fake version of him, a stuntman, that they put Arnold Schwarzenegger's head on so that they can fake the final fight and make it look like he's actually actually dead. So it's. Mm. I, I think that if you were going to remake a movie... You'd do a very different version of it. You wouldn't do as big an action comic booky version of The Running Man, but you could easily remake The Running Man now and it would feel amazingly prescient and of our moment. And I think that you could have such great fun with the the stalkers and who those people were and the storylines behind them. They, they flipped through it pretty quick in the movie, actually, much quicker than I remember, but um, I think you could do a lot with it. I remember I've read I've read I've read this short story that it's based on. It's a Richard Bachman like Stephen King short story, and the the book is very very different. It's not nearly as satirical. It's I think in the book you're literally just released out into a city. It's it's more like um, you know Escape from New York or something like that, where there's no I don't think the game show element is as big a factor. But in the eighties, when you think of kind of action movies, so many of them were satires of 
80s uh, consumer culture, you know, like you think of Robocop and um, uh, 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 um, Predator and all these kind of pumped up action films. The subtext of all those films was that like this, you know, this idea of the powerful and, and American might really just hiding this ugly underbelly. Like I saw this great video essay on Predator, which was talking about how Predator's actually... Uh, not an action film it's a satire of an action film because it, the first 30 minutes of that film is every action film cliche these pumped up mercenaries enormous muscles oiled up then they get released into the forest and they get hunted and then it switches and it becomes a slasher film in which these brawny muscle bound dudes become like every uh, teenage girl you've ever seen in a horror film in the 80s and Arnie is the ultimate Jamie Lee Curtis where it's him on his own like trying to escape this this killer and it's feels like in the 30 years of the intervening time like if you were going to remake those films you can't satirize the same thing they were satirizing because that that's the reality now like we have to sort of talk about well where will that they, they was they were projecting where were where are we going to be in 30 years so we have to look at our times now we don't satirize the trump era we satirize what is 30 years from now <laughs> what does the world look like 30 years from now and I don't know. I mean, will there be a world in 30 years? I mean, I can't imagine we, like when we were growing up, you know, before the internet, because the internet changed everything, like that we would have imagined the world that we're living in now in any way. Although I guess they did a pretty good job on the set of The Running Man, so we should have been paying more attention <laughs> to those guys. <laughs> but they really did. Look at Robocop. The idea of uh, one giant corporation controlling everything and privatizing the police force and moving to automation. I mean, I actually saved an article that we didn't get to today, but maybe we can get to next week. I got fed one of those YouTube ads that, well, you know, occasionally you get those ads, which is like a link to a GoFundMe. It's like oh, we've got this, um, you know, prototypical software or technology, you know, get on board as an investor, blah, blah, blah. And it was for robot security. And it, I was reading through this thing and it's like they've trialed these robot security guards. They've had them on campuses and shopping malls and stuff like that. And these are these like five foot robots that roll around and can do facial recognition and they have like, you know, instant access. And it's like, that's what Omnicorp we're trying to do in Robocop is like, well, let's again, um, we'll get rid of the police for security at least and we'll automate that completely. That is such a dystopian idea that these machines are rolling around with like facial recognition technology that have instant access to the police that can uh, access your information any of your information that is online they can get access to and these people are asking for us to invest money in that <laughs> you know put money you, you can get shares in omnicorp essentially the omnicorp I mean, gofundme that's the bit of the movie we didn't see was when they put together their gofundme proposal well, how long before, just say they do defund the police, you know, just say that it's like, okay, well, we're going to defund you guys until you can sort of prove that you're going to weed out these bad apples. And so it becomes this really long process where, you know, the police are sort of having to kind of move back, uh, you know, a few steps to incrementally rebuild to become a more trustworthy force. What's to stop someone like Jeff Bezos going, you know what, Amazon's starting its own police force. If you want, you know, uh, 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 an armed force that you can rely on that doesn't have to go through all this bloody bureaucracy red tape hire some amazon police that i mean that we've already be... got we've already got uniforms we've already got drones <laughs> yeah we'll be fine we'll get it there same day we... which is often better than the police response <laughs> yeah we've got police that only get 10 minute toilet breaks every day when they're on patrol 
You know what the thing is? Our police work hard. And the good news is if you've had something stolen from your house, we can offer you a deal and a replacement item at 50% of the cost. <laughs> that has to be around the corner though, right? Doesn't it? Especially in a country that is sort of as committed to sort of outright capitalism as the US. To have a, a guy who could be the world's, world's first trillionaire if, if if things keep if the divide between the rich and the poor gets more and civil unrest gets more and more stark, private security and private police will have to become a, a worthwhile investment, wouldn't you think? Well, for those who want to protect what they have, yeah, you know, if people are coming to take what they have, absolutely, and that's why that you know somebody having all the stuff becomes so just inherently problematic. It doesn't even matter who the person is who has all the stuff. The idea that somebody has all the stuff is a problematic idea for that very fucking reason. But you could see America have a corporate takeover. That that could be the other way that it went, yeah. right? If it doesn't go to revolution in the way that we think or if it doesn't go to you know the rock running with steve stone cold steve austin like if <laughs> love that there is <laughs> these are our two options it's either we go in the direction of the rock and stone cold or we go to corporate takeover that's the only two options we can see well revolution re- revolution by the people where they burn the entire thing to the ground oh, yeah. and they start again civil war the rock and stone cold steve austin uh, double ticket or jeff bezos does it at amazon corporate takeover of america and they just call it america zone or you know the united states of amazon they still call it usa but it's now the united states of amazon and jeff bezos is the president and everybody just works for Amazon and you have an entire country where, I mean, he could probably make that mm. argument. He's like, you want a businessman to run this country. I'm the ultimate businessman. You got a real estate salesman last time, but you need an actual businessman. And I have a proven track record that, you know, I have a trillion dollars. Oh. I can employ most of Americans and we can just become a giant Amazon branch and we can export our stuff to the rest of the world and we'll become, again, the economic superpower that we used to be and everybody have a job. You can work in a factory. I'll keep you safe with our yeah. drones and everybody works well, for Amazon. I'm getting a feeling that if Jeff Bezos does put himself forward as the presumptive nominee, great opportunity for someone to run against him and that person would be Jay-Z and he would run on the platform of, you might be a businessman, but I'm the business man. <laughs> but I'm the business man. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been supporting us on Patreon. There's been a real uptick in the last couple of months and I know everyone's struggling and the fact that you guys are supporting us through Patreon is, uh, is really amazing. It's uh, just enabling us to do this more regularly um, and we want to do more for you. Uh, Two Guys, One Cup will be coming back soon because the AFL starts next week. So that's great. <laughs> we have to start thinking about football. Is it next, next week? Next week. When you say next <laughs> week, it next it's week? not... Is it this week that's or start, next week? Well, it doesn't come back next week on the 11th, right? It comes back... The 11th, oh, the, which this is week, this yeah, week, so technically, right? Because we're, yeah, we're the recording week this on a Sunday. Tomorrow. My week's beginning on a Monday. So, yeah, uh, the, the week coming. It's coming soon. So, we'll be back doing Two Guys, One Cup. Uh, you recorded a new faux fop, is that right? Yeah, with Dave Anthony, which uh, Mike is currently... Uh, it turns out I recorded my end a bit low because I was twiddling with the wrong button on my Zoom recorder. Anyway, 10 years in the game. Still haven't nailed it. So, um, but uh, Dave Anthony talking about all that is happening in America, uh, episode 299 of FOFOP. 
if you want to go to our YouTube channel, there's heaps of videos up there, Q&A videos, behind the scenes videos. You can watch clips from the show, whole episodes. Uh, that's another way you can support us if you don't have money to uh, donate to our Patreon. Uh, you can also go to our Redbubble uh, page, well, James Fosdyke's Redbubble page, which is redbubble.com slash people slash Mr. Foz. Heaps of great merch up there. Apparently, we've sold a few Dr. T-shirts. So James is feeling a little bit better about himself. Uh, but if you're not a doctor, there's plenty of other great merch there. Mugs, T-shirts, shower curtains, posters. Um, what else can people get? Uh, there's something else there I'm completely forgetting. Oh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Uh, anything else? Anyway, go there. Have a poke around. There might be new... The, the recent Simpsons art has been oh, very yes. popular. So... I imagine we will have to do something with that before we, you know, get sued by the Simpsons. Uh, before the Disney Corporation yeah. rains down on us for a trademark violation. James has uh, suggested other cartoons we can talk about in order for him to do some copyright violating artwork. Uh, so maybe we'll get to that at a later stage. Um, <laughs> we would have recorded a bonus episode today to go up on our Patreon, but they might have to wait a few days because the internet connection is a bit unreliable. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get to that this week. Um, so there'll be plenty of new content for you guys to check out. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.